keeper. Tools up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime, makes it go. Welcome to the MVP cast once again from me, Mark Woods. Thank you for joining us for this midsummer edition of the podcast. Hope you're enjoying your seasonal incomings and goings in the sunshine and the rain and the high winds. It is a British summer after all. Lots of coming and goings, of course, amongst British basketball league clubs, both in the men's and the women's side. I mean, there's big signings. Tammy Fabenley, Carly Samuelson get into London. The shock news just this week, Ryan Smith leaving the Lions to take up a job in the NBA and of course the news just as we're recording this Pat Whelan making the trip north to the Caledonia Gladiators from Leicester if you want to keep up with all those moves and shakes around domestic basketball head to our Twitter account MVP underscore 24 7 and you'll get it all there now we'll like during the summer months to, to look at different aspects of, of British basketball and step away from the pro game and this time let's have a look at the next generation so it's that time of year when our brightest and best are, are taking part in European Championship competitions around the continent. GB's under 18 women, 12th in Division B earlier this month. The other 20 men, 8th in Euro B last week under the coaching, of course, the new London Lions women's assistant, Krumesh Patel. The under 18 men under Alan Keane starting this Friday night in Portugal, a mix of US and UK based recruits for them. The other teams in actions over the next few weeks. We wish them all the very best of luck. Let's hope for some promotions for all of them. But let's look specifically at our young male talent. What's it like? We saw recently uh, a woman not being drafted in the NBA draft, but a free agent signing for the Detroit Pistons. Still hope that he'll make the league at some point on, on through that route through uh, through the G League or elsewhere. Cam Hildreth still excelling at Wake Forest. Maybe our best chance over the next few years of getting a Brit finally into the NBA. But what's behind them? And let's have a look at this with two experts, two brains in this field. We are our old friend, been on the podcast before, Dave Owen, stat tracking genius. I hope that's a good way of describing you, Dave. He's, he's nodding and said he said that's fine and Chris Mays who's just freshly back from NBA Summer League in Vegas you know he's got lots of rules Chris you know former assistant coach in the NCAA of course was it was a technical rules at uh, Solent coach in Belgium you coach lots of players in NCAA one and and you, uh, focus Chris I think I've probably put them pimping you up in the right way here you know and understanding that that skills development of, of athletes and you know Dave as we went into this, has put together a hot list of players. So we'll have a look through some of those. But let, just let's put this in context a bit, Chris, to start with you. I mean, as I said, you've just been at Vegas Summer League. So you're seeing some of the best young talent in the world. I mean, talent that's either going to the NBA right away or, or players who are aspire to be there. Um, and you get the chance to talk to, to coaches and scouts and in that and, and other contexts. When you mention the word British talent... What's the perception outside of our shores? I think it's always one with interest. You know, I think as a nation for years, we've been very good at finding six, seven to six, 11 <laughs> breaths of talent that make their way over. I mean, ever since Bucknell, you even have Joel Freeland, etc. 
you know, even with the last thing, I mean, he's playing for the Polish national team, but Jeremy fits that caliber mm -hmm. as well as that player that can impact within, you know, that circumstances of the league. It trends and it favors them. And I think sometimes also with the development system that we have in the country, you know, it struggles a little bit because of the playmaking abilities of our guards and keeping them in the country a little bit longer and then sending them out to the United States and especially with Brexit looming and the reality of that, um, you know, it's always, it's always an interesting stop for scouts, recruits, teams to have a look in England because it is, it is a culture of talent and uh, it's just found, it's easy to find, but... Um, you know, it's hard to develop. Do you think, I mean, you mentioned Jeremy Suhan, of course, good season at the Spurs last year, very solid season. Um, and as you said, plays for Poland, American passport, but came through the system in this country, you know, Milton Keynes and, and other places. Um, do you think that's speaking creditably about a system that, and we'll, we'll talk of some of the players that are coming through, but, you know, it's, it's maybe sparked, you know, some new views on our talent permit yeah i really think so i think you know even just this last thing with Thomas being at the summer league nobody expected that if you said that two years ago you know the development that he's taken in the ivy league this year it's it's unstoppable and it's just putting the right people in the right environments and i think you know us as a nation if we can work on our environment there is plenty more to come um because the game is well liked you know, you see what Sam's doing, the drive that he's keeping at a younger level. If we can control that a little bit more and develop the talent ourselves in the nation and then send them out at the right time, I think it would be a way more profitable yeah, for us. Give, I must give a shout out to Sam. Sam Nieder, of course, our good friend of Pips Fix. Lots of great summer action that he puts together and showcases yeah. a lot of that, that young talent. Um, Dave, you've you're good at crunching these numbers and evaluating these talents. So we're going to, we're going to dive into this hot list you've developed for our best under 25 players. And there's a player at the top of your list. So top rated in terms of the under 25s. Um, he's already played for GP senior level was, was in the NBA draft this year withdrew from consideration, but you know, we'll, we'll be there. I'm sure again, and that's Quinn Ellis. Um, when you're evaluating players, let's, let's again dig into the system here. How did you sort of quantify in a, in a quantitative and qualitative way how to compare players of different ages? Yeah, so it's been a, an ongoing challenge since I got involved in British basketball in 2014, where I just wanted to answer that question of, first of all, if you take the really simplistic thing of my kind of performance analysis or performance evaluation, whatever terminology you prefer to use, uh, if you take two players that are the same age playing in the same league, then you can look at numbers in various ways and say, okay, that guy outranks that guy. It's fairly simple. I came up with a pretty system i'm happy with was factoring the individual performance of the efficiency and the win percentage of the team and a calculation of factors in both because we've all heard that conversation while well, this guy's stats are better but yeah but this guy's on a winning team we're all familiar with that from nba mvp debates and the like so i kind of came up with a calculation to solve that problem but then i was like well what if one of those players is 
let's say 17 playing in the BBL and one of those players is 32 in the BBL. It's not really fair to expect the same statistical output from a kid as a veteran. So how could we maybe make an adjustment which factors in the age and almost projects the 17-year-old stats once he was post-25 as a fully developed player? So I came up with a kind of age adjustment which again was not super difficult, but getting the numbers right and getting the weighting right and everything took a while. But then the real challenge came with, okay, when we're talking about, let's say, picking a GB on the 20 squad, how do we compare the kid who's playing Division One men to the kid who's playing Division Two men to the EABL kid to the kid who's playing uh, overseas in Europe in some competition like Michael Bell or something like that? And that's where it got really complex because you know, what is the value of these numbers and how much does the higher level competition really change the evaluation? Because you can't just default it. You can't just say, okay, well, a kid in Division I men is better than a kid in Division II men. Well, not necessarily. He may just be in that environment because of geography and all the rest of it. So I've kind of worked away at it, worked away at it, came up with a system that almost to my amazement, seems to come out accurate nearly every time in terms of kind of placing these players into performance tiers and giving them a kind of globally applicable star rating and um, particularly with the generations we're talking about which is kind of the the gb junior team so 03 down to kind of 06 born players uh, on this hot list that we're discussing today um and also these kids are all over the place so in terms of where they're playing and their levels so to be able to place them into these kind of tiers is just super helpful for me in terms of knowing, well, which kids should I be giving coverage to, you know, exposure content to help them get scholarships uh, and all that kind of thing. When you look at, I mean, we'll work down in ages and took it each of these tiers simply because you're a breathtakingly complex spreadsheet. That's how it is. Um, who for you is, I mean, we mentioned Quinn, um, product of Sheffield. Who's really standing out for you now is, you know, is these next ones off the rank? Because most of them are, you know, either in, you know, prep school or junior colleges or, or D1s. And who we should we be looking out for? Yeah, I think it's always a challenge when you go younger and talk about the kind of US high school players because those are the one kind of flaw or one chink in my armor in that I can't get the stats the level is very difficult to define within the, the high school kind of structure so they're kind of a bit of an unknown we kind of knew what they were before they went to high school maybe playing here we maybe know what they do for the national team but they're kind of an unknown until they really get recruited to college and then we can track them um, the one player that's sort of, well, a, a few players are already performing at the college level who we saw for the under 20s this year is James Oconquo. So, you know, he was at a high major division one at West Virginia. So coming into the under 20s, you think, okay, well, this is a kid who's already getting minutes in a high major. So your expectations are pretty high that he's going to be a standout player for under 20s. And he was actually at a standout for the under 20s. You know, Chris will give more kind of subjective coaching context than myself as a more casual observer. But, you know, you can see the body type in the athleticism and the shot blocking. The team seemed to function around his skill set and ability. And he was certainly the, the focal point to, to my eye. I'm sure Chris can probably elaborate on that. Just I mean, you're picking up on that. I mean, the two names you mentioned are James and Michael. I mean, obviously, you know, James at D1, product of Reading. Michael at Strasbourg now, you know, product of Richmond. What's the trick in comparing America and Europe? Because, you know, obviously more Brits tend to head stateside, but there's a different kind of development system in Europe. I mean, from a talent, talent evaluation point of view, what's, how do you compare the apples with the oranges? 
I think it's um, it, I kind of like Michael Bell's transition at the moment. I think developing in Europe, picking up that European style of game, and then change uh, coming over to the United States to bring profit into his game, playing at VCU, it's it's really going to expand his profile. I mean, he fits the system of VCU. He's able to impact there. He's able to bring a different dimension with his scoring at his size. Um, he's extremely good with the ball in his hands. Love to see him develop maybe off ball, slashing, cutting, you know, a tremendous athlete as well. It just gives him that extra potential going forward. And, you know, Dave talks about James, and I think this is a massive move for James going to North Carolina next season. Um, he's been he's been absolutely fantastic. And also he suits the style of what the NBA is looking for in that undersized five at the moment. Somebody that can rim run. He's got a heart of a lion. Can you know? And what really impresses me about James is his statistical profile over the limited minutes that he did play at uh, West Virginia, and now coming into a system like at North Carolina, where you're backing up probably one of the best bigs, but you still got two years left to encourage, you know, to increase your game. And he's been someone that you know, if he ends up in the NBA, I wouldn't be surprised just because of you know the the environment and the situation he has put himself in. I mean, you know, obviously he's coming off an under-20 campaign as well. Come back to essentially what we are saying about Vegas. What, what do you think the, you know, again, college recruiters, scouts, people are tucking numbers away. When they look at these underage European championships, you know, you're seeing this in your own eyes. What are people taking away from this in terms of the, the long-term projection? Well, I think with James, I mean, is he is it true that he's the first ever one to to get a triple double <laughs> for for Great Britain in an international tournament? I mean, when people do that, that opens up your eyes, and it makes people follow you. And it's it's like, okay, you're showing a different style of game. You're showing that not only can you perform at the NCAA level, but you can also perform within the higher tiers of European basketball. And the, the best thing about national team basketball is very systematic. It's very hard. You play the tournaments very interbased. It's not like AAU tournaments or something where it's kind of like a, a free for all. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a dogfight if you ever go to one of these AAU things. There's more structure, there's more more ways to showcase who you are, but also there's identity and everything. And you can really see that within the players that play within this tournament. So I think, yeah, teams are more are more understanding of what the player can be. And, you know, this this last tournament for James has really shown probably the the calibre of player he can actually be. When you, you go down your list, Dave, of the, the sort of 03, 03, 03, 03, 04 born talents, and those two at the top, what's the projection below that? I mean, is there are there names that are standing out for you that you think, you know, that's... They're on an upward trajectory here that could move them up, or they're exciting you with the numbers. Yeah, I think that those are the three names, like we've mentioned, Quinn Ellis, James Conquo, Michael Bell. Those are the three real standout talents that, you know, they've done enough at a level to show, you know, we should be holding them in a higher regard. Um, that's not to say some of the other players are not at that level. It's maybe they've just not had the opportunity to play at a higher level to, to really showcase themselves. But looking at the under-20 squad and sort of what I expected based on their performances uh, domestically and then what they went and did, you know, Victor Naduku 
and Lane Campbell were probably two of the, the big names kind of below that. Louis Tucker would probably be thrown in there as well as that kind of next tier down on, on our list. And, you know, all three impressed me, certainly, at, at the under-20s. Well, yeah, especially with Victor, I mean, he's a player that's come through, you know, Charnwood you know, and the Manchester and, you know, homegrown talents. In that evaluation, when you you've you pull those apart, what does that domestic competition day set? I mean, do do you does that weigh you down? Does it does it push you up? I mean, it, how did, what's the weight that you put against some of our talent academies, particularly somewhere like Charnwood, who has you know has a reputation for developing talent? Yeah, so basically the way it works, every competition level has a ceiling in terms of no matter what you do in that competition, you can only achieve a certain rating. So you can't go and get a five-star rating from the EABL. You know, it's, it is all dependent on the level of competitions. So there's also always a highest performance tier you can achieve each level. And then that equates to a kind of global rating of what that means on a global scale and what levels you could potentially jump up to from there. So it's always relative to the level and it's not that you can't kind of outperform your level, but there should always be a ceiling. You know, we shouldn't be able to say, oh, the best player in the ABL is automatically an NBA prospect if they've not played any senior basketball at that point. You know, it's all relative. What, how do you see that, that jump in terms of, Chris, in terms of like, being a prospect and something you know, again we say Char charnwood or you know other clubs in the eabl for you is that is that grinding delivering talent that can make that next leap you know maybe in the right situation maybe with extra coaching maybe through an extra competition yeah it's kind of like with victor as well i mean he ended up at north dakota i mean if you look at him if you look at him he's uh I think college coaches would salivate over the look of a six eight six nine four stretch man that can shoot the ball very talented. I mean, obviously it didn't work out for him, but now he comes back. Um, my question would be why that kind of happened because you know, and also now now he is back. You can't take that talent away from him. He's still got it. Is it intrinsically? Is it something that he can? Because now we can see whether. Coming back, being with Leicester, I mean, obviously it worked in the women's game with Holly. Uh, you know, she came back and has found great success leaving Oregon. But these guys, it's it's a big jump. It's a big transitional jump. And every time, I mean, when I was recruiting for Division One schools, sometimes I would used to say to these kids, come to the smaller schools and play because you're going to impact straight away. And then if in two years you outgrow us, then please leave. Please go to the bigger schools. The transfer portal is real. You know, it's it's an it's a natural thing that can really project you moving forward. So either way, you're helping our program. And if you love it, then please stay. <laughs> but it's for me, it is. It's it's that adjustment straight away. He seemed like one of the guys that was gonna adjust straight away, uh, you know, physically and ability-wise. Um, and it just didn't work out. So It'll be very, very interesting to see where how he goes with Leicester, how he breaks into that rotation moving forward, because what you see is all there. So, it, you know, I just don't know if it's the contrast of the biggest change of coming into or maybe picking the wrong conference. I mean, do we have to we, we have a lot of statistical generation and stuff like that. But is there more need for for greater, deeper understanding of actually where he's actually sending them? and organisational factors of how actually to develop these kids whilst they're in this four-year process. 
amongst the under 18 plus so above the under 18 group still Dave is obviously you're tracking them year to year and when you find you know in some cases there are players who make a leap and it might be that they've just finished growing so they find some more physicality or perhaps they get a different coach who just unlocks something where's the where is that reflected statistically is it always just numbers or is there other things with some of the players that you've looked at that have that you've picked up and go yes we can see the x factor that's that's been unleashed in their development um so in terms of kind of year-on-year progress the the kind of age adjustment made assumes a level of growth for every year until they hit 25 but obviously for some players that will be an incremental year on year one some people will make a gigantic leap in one year but it almost let's say it's, it's a plus 10 or to keep it in simple terms some people would achieve that an eight and then a two and then nothing some people will do it one a year over 10 so that kind of gradual growth occurs completely differently in different players you know some people make giant leaps some people go like three 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 one you know you can see the kind of logic of what i'm saying um i do need to backtrack slightly because i missed amaku welsh when i was mentioning uh the top players of the the, the previous kind of tier is just because he's slightly younger than the other guys and he's certainly impressed in the under 20s as well chris as a as a recruiter put that hat on for us now and okay. do you do you like players who make a leap or do you are you suspicious of players that maybe find something that before that that they weren't at that level what's the mathematics in your head i don't know it's it's adapting to their uh to their environment that's that's the biggest thing whenever you look at even even with jeremy going back to him I mean, the one thing that he was always unique at was conquering a level that he changed. You know, that was a talent that he had. And it is it is that ability that when they step up, I mean, Quinn Ellis, nobody, nobody really watching him was kind of surprised he performed like that against Serbia. You know, he has it in him and putting him in that environment and that level brings the best out of him. You know, going back to Dave, what Dave said about Zamaku, what I'm really looking forward to looking at with Zamaku is his ability to stay consistent for a longer period of time. He started off very well in Division B Championship, and then his numbers declined once people found out who he was. So I think sometimes it, it is it is always a gamble because you just just too many factors of understanding what, how they're going to react when they get out there. Some people thrive on that. Some people thrive on the change of change of you know environments but it really is to do with fit and you know i gotta i gotta big up chris haslam a lot when it comes to that his understanding of british players and bringing them on and actually getting them to perform to professionals within a conference like the big sky i think he's been very very consistent over the 11 years he's been there to be able to do that with players so you know i think it's where you send them um reduces the surprise limit um <laughs> But yeah, I think, and also who you send them with, you know, I think the the big shock happens, but you know, some of them are. I think that's that's where you know if they're actually going to be players, as ninety percent of this game happens between your ears. I mean, Zamaku, you know, obviously had sporadic but fairly minimal minutes for for London Lions last season. Now he goes to George Washington, but he's 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 been a run really good role models. 
um, you know, I'm sure you can't help but learn if you're playing against an experienced big like you know a Sam Decker on a daily basis, and you know, and, and understanding the full rank range of of that experience. Does that help? I mean, do you think in terms of that adjustment, or or and does it help in the same way in terms of the playing adjustment? I yeah, I think the experience of the players because the coaches can't do everything, and I think the experience of the players that learn. I think that's a fantastic advantage for these players coming up, already playing professionally and stuff like that. I think the one thing that they have to relate to very quickly is all of a sudden they become the key guy. Instead, there's not so much pressure with Zamaku playing at London because he's got Sam Decker standing next to him. <laughs> so they need a, they need a bucket, they're going to Sam. However, now when you become that focal point of the team, and everything that's where your character really shows out and i think that's where they you know that's the next adjustment and the delivery that college basketball kind of gives them what about that under 18 crop dave who's i mean you mentioned zamaku of that younger ones who who else was really stepping forward at that you know oh i guess even down to 2006 born list yeah, so the the GB under 18s final 12 has actually been announced today. So it's quite timely looking uh, through that list of some of the players we'd maybe expect to perform. Um, I think the three that kind of jump out in terms of my list, and they are in high school, so it's tough. But based on what they did here before they went over, Latrell Davis, Ben Michaels, Tyrese Lacey, who have all kind of played for GB previously and looked like special talents. Mm. So really, uh, Tyree Lacey is just a, a personal favourite of mine in terms of playing style, you know, undersized guard. He's just fantastic to watch. We saw a little bit of him at the Hoops Fix All-Star Classic. So really excited to see uh, what those three do. But yeah, there's some interesting names um, on, on the list announced today. Matt Goodwin's a name that's sort of starting to emerge as well. Seb Ebenalo, I think probably one of the most slept on players in the country. Mazai King Danchi. There's you know quite a few names on that list that are going to be very interesting, and obviously for a lot of people it might be the first time they've seen them, you know, in a in a in a GB jersey. You were nodding quite a lot there when Dave was talking about Tyrese Chris. I mean, is is he a player that we should really start to pick up on? Yeah, Tyrese is a very interesting prospect. He's uh, he has the he has the ability to to continue to develop at a very high level. So you know he. I, I'm really, really interested to watch him perform at this uh, championship and you know, to see how he can handle that seven-day <laughs> scouting you know, impact and everything because it does, does tell you a lot more about the kid and the character and you know, if, you're really, if they're really willing to adjust to, the, to, to their environment that they put themselves in. Under 17, Steve. Um... You've got one name really standing out at the top of your list and your evaluations. Yeah, Manny Hoses, who's at the NBA Global Academy. Very interesting one. I actually spoke to one of the coaches there because it's just a level I'm not familiar with. You know, NBA Global Academy, you can make the assumption that it's a pretty good level because it's got the NBA tag on it. Um, but yeah, they said he was developing really well. Um, they're really happy with him. Interestingly, he's on the reserve list for the GB under 18. He's not in the final 12, which is an interesting one from, a, you know, from the outside looking in. There's obviously going to be reasons for it that I'm not aware of. What what's that setup? What's you know when you look at that? I mean, I don't really know much about it either. Um, what do you see coming out of that, Chris? I think the NBA Global Academy is actually built because of the insecurity of 
sometimes division one basketball and what they produce coming out to the NBA You know, the NBA have done a big thing now with the, the G league continues to grow, you know, that they're finding prospects early, maybe as well with NIL deals, kids come out a little bit spoiled. <laughs> the, the global, you know, the, the NBA are doing a very good job at actually strategically developing their own kids now for the NBA and to be able to profit from them. So it's like, I think it's a very, very good structure system. It gives them, you know, a vast experience, training facilities, everything that is established all over the world. And yeah, it's it. There's so many different ways now to go to the NBA, and I think it's you know to to play at the highest level and more organized, structured events like this and what they produce is you know, only benefits the game. And it's something that as a talented prospect, I would always look into. I mean, many of, many of our under 16, 17 players, I mean, they're either in high school or in the EABL. Um, for, the, for the remainder of that group, Dave, who's, who's the names you think are, you know, at least statistically, and from your eye test are, are on that cusp that could be ones who emerge as that fresh young talent? I think it's the, the hardest generation to, to really assess because we don't see statistics. You know, the under-17s, that's the first real look that we get at them in terms of, you know, coming into that EABL world, maybe playing a bit of D2, D1 men. Um, but the under-16 generation before that, so, you know, the long camp list for the GB under-16s this year, uh, names you probably don't know. And even myself is not overly familiar with. You might see them in a little bit in the Aspire tournaments and things like that. But those are always the biggest unknowns that when that GB under 16 team is, you know, on GB basketball TV and we can get a look at them. Um, just based on where they are, I think you've got Nathaniel Janogli, who I may be pronouncing that incorrectly, who's at Brewster Prep. And then you've also got Julius Kamani, who I believe is a seven footer at Montverde Academy. So with my very little knowledge of US high school basketball. I believe those are two pretty pretty big programs and you've got a six eight kid and a seven foot kid. So if they're in the twelve and the under sixteens, you would imagine those would be the two that would be interesting to go look at. Any others amongst our high school preps that you think we should get excited about, Chris? Uh, no, I, there's so many vast names and just trying to find them <laughs> <laughs> all the time. I mean in the prep school for me, uh, maybe Luke, Luke Bamboy, uh, if I said his name right, <laughs> Luke Bamboy, I think he, you know, he's sitting there now with, uh, I think it's 12, 13 offers to high major power five schools, has great shot blocking ability, you know, the, the, the development of him over the last couple of years, uh, being in the States, as come with the body and the coaching, I think, you know, he's definitely somebody that people should really have a look at. Well, there are so many names. We can keep our fingers crossed <laughs> that they come through. We all want another NBA star. And let's hope it's somewhere located on Dave's spreadsheet. If you want to get all of Dave's stats, and they are brilliant, and I cannot recommend them enough, head to daveoandbasketball.co.uk and you will find a world of information. Chris, you can get on Twitter. It's at AC Maze 21 Chris quickly what's next uh for me it's uh it's waiting for this marriage visa to, to open up and uh 
you know, slowly, slowly being able to integrate into the United States. So, um, uh, my wife at the moment, she's working in, uh, Northern Colorado as well. So I'm still very heavy, but I'm in a very fortuitous place because living in, living where I live, you've got four or five conferences around me. So I'll be out scouting, watching, you know, and obviously praying that we can continue to develop these English kids as the best that we can. And that put all that smoozing from Vegas Summer League to good use. That's, yeah. that's what it's all about. The networking, the networking. Anyway, guys, um, network. I hope that, thank you so much for your insights um, and stay well. Enjoy your summer. Hit the beach. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. That is Thanks. it for this edition of the MVP cast. Don't forget you can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com or via your smart speakers or your preferred podcast providers. If you're heading to the beach, download a few episodes, sit by the pool, hours of fun guaranteed. If you want to reach out to me, you can get me on Twitter at Mark Britball. We're in an extended break for our summer holidays. We'll be back in September. But for me, Mark Woods, thank you so much for listening and it's goodbye.